Welcome to, um, what should it be <laughs> What's today? the name of our podcast? <laughs> um, let's go with, uh, Rabbits. That's not the name of our podcast. What's our podcast? Armchair Apocrypha. That's right, Armchair Apocrypha. Uh, this Wait, is, is the, there a podcast named Rabbits? There is a podcast named Rabbits. Please tell me it's actually about rabbits. It's not about oh rabbits. Oh it's, uh, it's Pacific Northwest Stories. They do a uh, uh, science fiction. It's kind of like Lost. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um and they should call it a polar bear. <laughs> but this is uh, this is Armchair Apocrypha. This is the show where armchair experts uh, tell possibly true stories. Mm-hmm. Um, we are celebrating today. We just passed 600 unique listens mm-hmm. off of 10 episodes. Um, and uh, 100 of those are the pilot. And then I think another 100 of them are Mary's episode with the... That's a uh, good episode. My Favorite Murder. Um <laughs> So thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you for sticking around with us for 11 episodes. It's fun. Um, I think we're up to 15 now that we have recorded. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah, we have three more on back order. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have wine, and we're just going to cheers real cheers. quick. If you've got wine, cheers with us. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's good wine. Sweet nectar, yeah. Yeah. How's your week? It was really good. Was it? It was, I found out that I get to stay at the store that I've been at, yes. that I'm not going to be moved around, that it is officially my store. Nice. So I'm super excited about that. Um, and then I'm signing up to do, I missed the 5K this last Saturday because yeah. I had my dates wrong. Oh. Um, I didn't think that it's the triple crown of running started till two weeks from now, but yeah. I am still going to do the 10K and the 10 miler. Okay. Um, and I went running today and it was awful so we'll see what happens when i do the 10k in two weeks because of the weather or just because oh no just because i'm out of shape oh okay it's me it's no one else i don't run so (laughs) you've got me beat um you can maybe call what i did running (laughs) (laughs) uh that's great how was your week it was pretty good um so people have started buying my second book which is red hats and black yes And uh, a couple of uh, anti-racist action members reached out to me and said that it was really good, which is part one. It made you you all nice and tingly. Yes, so good. Nice. Getting it right. (laughs) Um, I had a busy weekend, though. Uh, I didn't get nearly enough of the stuff that I wanted to get done. Um, And then Paige came over last night, and we were awake until after the time changed. Which messed me up even more. Which made you go, oh yeah, we sprung forward on Sunday. Yeah, we, we sprung forward last night, um, so we lost an hour. Um, I can't do one about time change, because I've already done that. I know, you've already done that. Uh, that was, was that our first couple episodes, or was that later? I got it. It was like in the first few. Yeah. I got this. So we are now four, uh, four months later, and uh, experiencing daylight savings time again. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying. I feel like it came way early this year. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That actually helped. That helped. Uh, our box is falling apart. The, uh, <laughs> the sound foam is falling apart. Our off. literal box, not our figurative box. <laughs> <laughs> um, very professional over here mm-hmm. at uh, Absinthe Activism Arts. Yep. Um, do you want to get into today's episode? Let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> this is the most unprepared I've ever been. <laughs> Um, so I'm going to be talking about the first queen of Hawaii. She was also the last monarch of Hawaii. 
And I feel um, like I know when that ended, but I don't know when it. Ended. I've seen that picture. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she's also a composer of the famous song "Aloha Oi," which you might know. Mm. I, I mean, I don't recognize the name, but I would probably recognize the song. Aloha Oi, Aloha Oi. Yes. It's in all of the movies. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. She composed that. Oh. So first queen, last monarch, and composer of that song. What are we going to be remembered for? <laughs> this? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um, her name is Lili Ua Kalani, I believe. Let me know if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, she was born Lydia Liliu Laloku Walanaya Kamaka Aha. So when she was in trouble and they said all those words, she knew <laughs> that she was in deep trouble. When her mom said all those well, names, names, she, she was, was in deep shit. In the corner. <laughs> um, she was born in 1838 in Honolulu. Um, during her early life, uh, she um, she was born in a grass hut of her maternal grandfather, Aika Naka, I believe. Um, and it was at the uh, base of the Punchbowl Crater in Honolulu uh, on the island of Oahu. Oahu, yeah. Oahu. Um, according to a Hawaiian custom, she was named after an event linked to her birth. Uh, at that time, she was born Kuhina Nui, regent. Um, Elizabeth Kaneo had developed an eye infection. Uh, she named the child using the words Liliu, smarting, Liloku, tearful, Walania, a burning pain, and Kame, uh, Kamaka Eha, sore eyes. Mm. So, her name is, her birth name was Pinkai. And she became the queen of Hawaii. <laughs> um, her family were of the Ali class of the Hawaiian nobility, um, and they were with the House of Kamehame. Kamehameha, mm-hmm. which if you uh, watch Dragon Ball Z, you might re- you might recognize as the. Uh, you know I haven't. <laughs> Katie's Goku. not here. Katie's the one you talk to. <laughs> the Goku move. Um, oh yes, the Goku move. The I Goku know all move. About that. Yes. It goes uh, like this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> uh, that was pretty close, actually. That's right. <laughs> um, she went to boarding school. Uh, in 1850, um, she lived with her parents at Hale Akala, um, which she referred to in later life as her childhood home. Um, around this time, her sister Pau Ahi, I'm so sorry for this. Pau Ahi married an American named Charles Reed Bishop against the wishes of their parents. Um, but she reconciled with them shortly before uh, Paki's death in 1855. Um, before her husband's death? Uh, before her father's death. I oh, before her father's yeah. death. Uh, she became part of the uh, young social elite, um, and she ascended to the throne in 1855. In 1856, uh, Kamehameha IV announced his intent to marry Emma Rook, uh, one of their classmates. Um, however, according to Li Ua Kalani, certain elements of the court argued that there is no chief equal to you in birth and rank, but the adopted daughter of Paki, uh, which infuriated the king and brought the queen to tears. Um, Li Ua Kalani was regarded as a close friend of the new queen. She served as a maid of honor during the royal wedding alongside Princess Victoria Kamamu. 
Kamamalu and Mary Pittman. Um, Lili Uakalani was briefly engaged to William Charles Luna Lilo. Uh, they shared an interest in music composition and had known each other from childhood. Um, he had been betrothed to Princess Victoria, the king's sister, uh, but disagreements with their brothers prevented the marriage from materializing. There's a lot of marriage in this short. There is. Yes. Um, I did not realize that there was that, ma- that much marriage when I wrote this, <laughs> when I looked this up. Um, uh, do you have something on your mind, Andrew? No. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not. Um... She became romantically involved with American-born John Owen Dominus, uh, a staff member for Prince Lotz Kapawahi, uh, the future Kamehameha V, and the secretary to King Kamehameha IV. <sighs> you don't have to remember all these okay. names. Okay, there's not a test at the end. <laughs> there's not going to okay. be a quiz. Um, Put my notebook down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, during a court excursion, Dominus escorted her home despite falling from his horse and breaking his leg. So he was a gentleman. Mm. Um, from 1860 to 1862, Lili Uakalani and Dominus were engaged with the wedding set on her 24th birthday. This Do you was... really want to get married on your birthday? No. No. That sounds terrible. No, yeah. I mean, I'm not planning on getting married anytime soon but that still sounds yeah terrible. that sounds awful also my birthday is in december so it would be like december cold birthdays and rainy. are like normal yeah but it would be like rainy and you know cold and yeah pretty miserable outside i imagine unless you do a destination wedding yeah that way people won't come to because <laughs> people are smart <laughs> my current plan is to elope to vegas and get a a, a quickie elvis impersonator marriage. yeah okay that um, many people can say that. <laughs> uh, okay. something. Sorry, side note. It's so funny. Someone's uh, there's like an article or a headline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like you know like um, five hundred sixty one thousand three hundred and three people got married last year, and someone's like, not to be rude or anything, but shouldn't that be an even number? Because <laughs> it was an odd number. And I was like, maybe someone got married <laughs> twice to two different people. That's and, yeah. always possible, yeah. yeah. <laughs> First marriage, quickie divorce. Second and the marriage. second marriage. Yeah. Oh, I married the wrong person. My bad. Let's redo this. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Try it one more time. There's also always clerical errors, which uh, I find I can hilarious. See that, yeah. Clerical errors in marriage where it's like you weren't really married and... But we had a wedding. We signed the license. Everything was good to go, but you're not really... Yeah, I don't get it yet. Yeah. Um, Sorry, let's go back to Hawaii. Yeah, let's go back to these marriages. Where you could get married at a destination <laughs> wedding. <laughs> I could always do that. Um, let's see. Uh, they uh, got married in September 16th, 1862. Uh, the wedding was postponed because of the death, the death of Prince mm-hmm. Albert Kamehameha, son of Kamehameha IV and Queen Emma. There are a lot of people. Yeah. You would think that Hawaii would be small. There wouldn't be a lot of people. There's Maybe these would be a little bit more, you know, no. streamlined, like uh, like Black Panther or something like that. <laughs> no. Lots and that's lots of people. That's because that's a comic book. Yeah. This is real life. Real life. Um, so they get married, and uh, they don't have um, children of their own. 
but Lili, Lili Uokalani, against the wishes of her husband, adopts three children. Um, Why would that be against his wishes? Apparently it was an unhappy marriage and he didn't want children. Oh, well, fuck him then. <laughs> Do a quick divorce, marry someone else in a year, and right. then it like, helps make the yeah. number uneven. Which is weird because he was such a gentleman when he fell off his horse and broke his ankle and still escorted her home. Yeah, what But a now he doesn't want children and apparently it's an unhappy marriage uh but she adopts three children another lydia uh i'm not even going to pronounce that uh and then uh the last name is aholo um the daughter of a family friend um the second was joseph uh kaipono hea ea the son of a retainer and john imoko dominus her husband's son okay so they have three children um and an unhappy marriage Hmm. What um, year is this? At this point, it's the 1960s, or the 1860s, sorry. Okay, yeah. Um, she uh, assisted Queen Emma and King Kamehameha IV uh, in raising funds to build the Queen's Hospital. In 1864, she and Paiuahi Pai, uh, helped Princess Victoria establish the Ka'ahumano Society, a female-led organization aimed at the relief of the elderly and the ill, at the request of Kamehameha V, she composed Hemeli Lahui Hawaii in 1866 as the new Hawaiian national anthem. Uh, this was in use until replaced by her brother's composition, Hawaii Pono Oi. Uh, during the 1869 visit of Alfred, Duke of Edinburgh, uh, and the Galatia, she entertained the, the British prince with a traditional Hawaiian luau at her Waikiki residence at Homohamo. These are great names. Yeah. By the way, I want I want a um, a residence named Homo Homo. I know. That sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, right. When we get a house, can we name it that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um. So, uh, Kamehameha Kamehameha the fifth dies in eighteen seventy two, and he doesn't have an heir. Um, with the 1864 Constitution of the Kingdom of Hawaii uh, called for the legislature to select the next monarch. Um, so by popular vote and the unanimous vote in the legislature, uh, Luna Lilo became That's the first it. elected king in Hawaii. Luna Lilo died without an heir in 1874. Um, in the so election like 12 years later? Yes. Oh. Uh, yeah, 12 years. No, two years later. Oh! 1872 to 1874. I was thinking 62. 72. Yeah. Two years? Two years. He was, king, he was the first heir for two years. Bet he got a lot accomplished. <laughs> um, in the next election, Lili Ukolani's brother, David Kalakua, uh, ran against Emma, the Dowager Queen of Kamehameha the fifth, the fourth. Um, and uh, when Kalakua was elected by the legislature and not the people, it caused a riot at the courthouse. Hmm. What happened? Do go on. Um, the U.S. and British troops were called in and Emma's supporters were arrested. Uh, the results of the election strained the relationship between Emma and the Kala Kai. You got this. <laughs> you chose this. I did choose this. But I'm this. glad that you did. Uh, because it's an interesting it's story. about white people. And it's full of, like, great intrigue and romance and mm-hmm. all that royal stuff. Marriages. Yeah, and I think that, <laughs> like, 
the Crown series would be much improved if it was moved to Hawaii and all of the Hawaiian actors had to speak in proper Hawaiian Pol- all the time. Polynesian? Yes. Um, so let's see. I'm going to skip forward to the death of Kalakau um, in 1890. Uh, John Adams uh, Cummins reported that Kalakau was uh, coming to California again aboard the USS Charleston um, and he reported that it was solely for the king's health and would not extend beyond California Uh, but local newspapers and the British commissioner James Hay Wodehouse speculated that the king might go further east to Washington, D.C. to negotiate a treaty to extend the existing exclusive U.S. access rights to Pearl Harbor. So he's coming to California, but he may be going to Washington, D.C. During this time, there was the McKinley Tariff Act, which was hurting their economy, um, and the duty-free advantage under the Reciprocity Treaty of 1875. Um, and uh, Lili Uokalani wrote that he and the Hawaiian ambassador to the United States, Henry A.P. Carter, planned to discuss the, the tariff situation in Washington. So Lili Uokalani is saying, no, he's going to Washington. Yeah, I will tell you. <laughs> this is where he's headed. <laughs> Um, in his absence, Lili Uokalani was left in charge as regent for the second time, um, and she writes uh, in her memoir, Nothing worthy of record transpired during the closing days of 1890 and the opening weeks of 1891. Um, arrive- upon arriving in California, Kala Kua, uh, whose health had been in declining, stayed in a suite at the Palace Hotel in San Francisco. Uh, traveling through Southern California and Northern Mexico, the monarch suffered a stroke in Santa Barbara and was rushed back to San Francisco. He fell into a coma in his suite on January 18th and died two days later on January 20th. So he did not make it to D.C. He did not make it to D.C. Oh. Though he was apparently heading that way. Um, so in uh, January of 1891... Uh, Lili Uokalani takes the oath of office uh, and becomes the queen of Hawaii. The first queen of Hawaii. The first and last. (laughs) The first queen, the last This is what happens when you put women in charge, Andrew. (laughs) I don't think that's true. (laughs) Queen Elizabeth say what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she's going about her business. She's doing all the stuff that she usually does. Um, She's making court appearances. Uh, she's uh, appointing cabinet members, um, a lot of white people, uh, Samuel Parker, Herman A. Whiteman, and William A. Whiting. So the Netflix can have like a whole like they section have of all white people. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, plus the the Native Hawaiians. Um, so following her accession, her husband Dominus uh, is given the title Prince Consort, um, and he restores the governorship of Oahu. Uh, which had been abolished following the Bayonet Constitution of 1887. There's a lot of Hawaiian history in here. There is. Um, a lot of it that I don't know. Of <laughs> you don't know your Hawaiian history? <laughs> we need a we need a full like drunk history episode oh devoted just to her. So I wa- I've been watching the new season. Yeah, it, it is fantastic. 
Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's so good. Talk about it later. Cool. We can watch an episode later. <laughs> um, there is some stuff that happens. Uh, her uh, legislature uh, from May 1892 to January 1983 convenes for an unprecedented 171 days, uh, which later historians such as Albertine Loomis and Hel- Helena G. Allen dubbed the longest legislature. Okay. I wish that our legislature would <laughs> convene nope. for one twenty. Just keep drinking. <laughs> I'm almost done. I see that. You have been drinking this very fast. I realized that I think I needed to drink water, not wine. <laughs> but I'm also not talking. You are. <laughs> you'll get, you'll get I'll get to my spot. Don't you worry. Um, but uh, she... Um, in 1893 calls on them to create a new uh, constitution to the kingdom of Hawaii um, which would be uh, the 1893 constitution of Hawaii Um, (laughs) she um, she stated that the goals of her opponents who were non-native Hawaiian kingdom subjects uh, were to depose her and so she wanted to shore up her power under the new constitution so that uh, the people of the kingdom of Hawaii couldn't overthrow her. Nice. Not really. <laughs> None shall overthrow me. <laughs> um, but she did receive uh, petitions from people to overwrite the bayonet constitution um, through two major political parties of the time. Uh, one of them was Kui Kalai Ayana and the National Reform Party, which is a lot easier. I'm gonna start a drinking game that every time I pronounce a Hawaiian name, I just drink. <laughs> Play along at home, guys. Uh, go ahead and drink every time I massively um, mispronounce a Hawaiian word. Um, so she wants to make this new constitution herself. Mm-hmm. She's also getting petitions from two of the major parties to make a, a new constitution, um, but her cabinet withheld their support. Uh, knowing that her opponents uh, would likely respond with violence. Yeah. Um, So the proposed constitution would have restored the power to the monarchy and the voting rights to uh, economically disenfranchised Native Hawaiians and Asians. Uh, Her ministers and her closest friends were all opposed to this plan. They they tried unsuccessfully to dissuade her from pursuing these initiatives, both of which came to be used against her in the growing constitutional crisis. Which is where we get to the overthrow of the kingdom of Here it is. Here we go. Cheers. So, after this proposed constitution, um, the fallout led to a citywide political rallies and meetings in Honolulu. Anti-monarchists, annexationists, and leading reform party politicians that included Lauren A. Thurston, the grandson of American missionaries, and Kalakaua's Former cabinet ministers under the Bayonet Constitution formed the Committee of Safety in protest of the revolutionary action of the Queen conspired to dispose her. Hmm. Um, In response, the Royalists and the Loyalists formed a Committee of Law and Order and met at the Palace Square on January 16th, uh, 1893 um, to try to appease the instigators the Queen and her supporters abandoned attempts to unilaterally uh, change the Constitution. Um... 
The same day, the Marshal of the Kingdom, Charles Burnett Wilson, was tipped off to uh, by detectives to a, an imminent planned coup. Um, Wilson requested warrants to arrest the 13 members of the Council of the Committee of Safety and put the kingdom under martial law. So this has all gone really bad in like a day. I now declare <laughs> martial law. <laughs> uh, Wilson goes on his respite. Uh, Marines are sent from USS Boston uh, to help shore up the law and order. Um the sailors and marines did not enter the palace grounds or take over any buildings, never fired a shot, but their presence served ineffectively uh, to intimidate royalist defenders. Um, historian William Russ states, the injunction to prevent fighting of any kind made it impossible for the monarchy to protect itself. So they didn't fight back. Yeah. They were just kind of like, like, let it all, all right. happen. Uh, on January 17th, uh, 1894, she's deposed... And a provisional government is established under the pro-annexation leader, Sanford B. Dole, uh, who was officially recognized by Stevens as the de facto government head. I pronounce you the de facto government head. <laughs> I wish somebody would uh, pronounce me the de facto government head. Um, so that's all for the, uh, the deposition of the queen. Um, she does get later arrested and imprisoned. Um, starting in uh, 1895. So how long did she rule? Uh, she ruled for... Um, crap, how long did she rule for? I know, sorry, it's just... That's all right. Well, she was placed... In 1891 um, to 1894. So about four years. Okay. About how long a president would... Yeah. Yeah. A little bit Two less. years longer than the one before. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in 1895, Robert W. Wilcox and Samuel Nowine uh, launched a rebellion against the forces of the Republic with the aim of restoring the Queen and the monarchy. It failed. She was arrested. Um, there are a lot of failed. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I was just trying on a <laughs> sailboat to make my way back to or make my way to california yeah i was just going to california it's no big deal um she was tried by a military commission of the republic led by her former uh, former attorney general whiting in the palace throne room on february 8th um in uh, on October uh, 13th in uh, 1896, the Republic of Hawaii gave her a full pardon and restored her civil rights. So, um, I could see that coming. She was imprisoned, but she was eventually pardoned. Um, after that, we all know what happened to Hawaii. They were annexed by the United States. Yeah. Um, on June 16th, McKinley presented the United States Senate with a new version of the annexation, annexation treaty, uh, one that eliminated the monetary compensation for Lili Uokalani and Kai Uolani. Um, Lili Uokalani filed an official protest with Secretary of State John Sherman the next day. Uh, the protest was witnessed by her agent and private secretary, Joseph Helaluhe, Wakiki Helaluhe, and Captain Julius A. Palmer, Jr., um, reported to be her American secretary. 
Um, in June 1897, President McKinley signed the treaty for the annexation of Hawaiian states, uh, but it failed to pass the United States Senate. After the Kuei petitions were submitted by a commission of native Hawaiian delegates, consisting of James Keo Ualuna Kailee, uh, David Kalaua Kalani, William Ald, and John Richardson. Those are the easy got ones. those ones. Yeah, <laughs> you nailed that one. Uh, member of Hui, hello, uh, members of Hui Aloha Aina collected over 21,000 signatures opposing an annexation treaty. Another 17,000 ch- signatures were collected by members of Hui Kole Aini, uh, but not submitted to the Senate because of these signatures were also asking for the restoration of the Queen. Uh. So about 21,000 want to oppose the annexation treaty. Another 17,000 want to oppose the annexation treaty and restore Lili Uokalani. So what happens next? <laughs> well, <laughs> as you might have guessed, uh, starting in... Um, uh, is that... Am I reading that right? In July 1898? Where are you looking? Yeah, um, 1898, yep. Hawaii was annexed uh, by the New Lands Resolution, a joint resolution of Congress in July 1898, shortly after the outbreak of the Spanish-American War. Uh, The annexation ceremony was held on August 12, 1898, at Lalani Palace, now being used as the executive building of the government. Um, President Sanford B. Dole handed over the sovereignty and public property of the Hawaiian Islands to United States Minister Harold M. Sewell. So that is the rise and fall of the royal colony. (laughs) That is really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. We should have a, a whole series about her so that we you can You could do a whole series about, about like, Hawaiian yeah. like, history. Yeah. So if you work at Netflix and you're looking for a new series... There you go. You're welcome. It's The Crown, but set in Hawaii. Yes! And you can do the same thing where, like, you know, they just did the first two seasons and they're all set in the same time period, but the next two are maybe 20 years later. Yeah. So something along those lines. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what do you have? <laughs> so my thing is not really to inform because everyone knows about this show. Okay. It's just I want to convince people and you because I don't know if you ever watched the show that it's a fantastic show and that it's a pretty groundbreaking show for its time. Okay. I'm talking about a show that I didn't even watch until college. Okay. Because my friend Claudia was obsessed with it and had all the seasons, and then show them to me. Are you talking about the, um, uh, what are they called? The old woman? The shirt that I'm wearing right now? Yes. Yes, I'm talking about the Golden Girls. The Golden Girls. It is a fantastic show. So this is just me giving my, like, advertisement for why the show was important, okay. their themes, and, like, why it's such a great show. <laughs> so I told you about my backstory. Basically... Claudia was just, like, obsessed, obsessed with the Golden Girls. And I was like, I don't get it. It's these four old ladies in Florida. How's it funny? And it has a, you know, a live studio audience, which mm-hmm. usually doesn't get me. Right. Um, but now I can't really say that because there are other shows that I watch that have been out, too. Um, so the idea actually came from the former NBC um, guy, Brandon Tartikoff. He got the idea for the series while he was visiting his elderly aunt 
his aunt's neighbor was also her best friend, and he was amused at how they would constantly bicker with one another, but yet they always remained pals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, here we go. I need to hold it this way. So it revolves around the four older single women, three widows and one divorce, sharing a house in Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. The owner of the house is Blanche. Right. She's the seductious one, the one who always sleeps around. Okay. Who's joined by fellow widow Rose, who's very stupid but endearing. Like, she doesn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And divorcee Dorothy, who's just, like, from Queens. A lot of no-nonsense stuff. Mm -hmm. And then um, they join Blanche at her house after they respond to an ad on a bulletin board at a local grocery store. And then in the pilot episode, the three are joined by Dorothy's 80-year-old mother, Sophia, who's my favorite character on the show. She's a short little old sassy Lady who just doesn't take shit from anyone. Uh-huh. And then um, the writers talked about how they would give her the racist lines. And they gave it the excuse that, well, she had a stroke, so she doesn't have a filter. But I'm going to be honest. If you come, if you talk to ladies and they're older the age, they don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. And they will just tell you. Yeah. So I think stroke or no stroke that she should have been given the racist lines no matter what. Because at that <laughs> point, they're like, I don't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> um. Um, so the 80-year-old grandmother, Sophia, after her retirement home where she had been living, had burned down suspiciously. Oh, no. so, suspiciously. <laughs> you kind of find out later that Sophia may have actually <laughs> done it accidentally with a hot plate. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Um, so the show ran from 1985 to 1992, which I thought it was only in the early 90s. I yeah. didn't realize it was 85 to 92. It had a whopping 180, 180 episodes. It lasted seven seasons. Mm-hmm. Um the Going Girls received critical acclaim. It was um, throughout most of its run and won several awards. I think towards the last season, I'm like, okay, you got to wrap it up. I I wholeheartedly believe in the seven year show run. Like yeah. after you've hit seven years, don't keep going. Yeah. Stop. Yeah, five to seven years. That's all. It that says, yeah, that's a sweet spot. Yeah. Um, it also won three Golden Globes for best television series, musical, or comedy. And excuse me, each of the four stars received an Emmy. All four of the main characters, making it one of only three sitcoms in the awards history to achieve this. The other ones I looked up were All in the Family. Shoot. All in the Family. Mm-hmm. And Will and Grace. Will and Grace, okay. Um, and then the married Tyler Moore actually won six, but they had a larger cast. They the only four people could win in this one. Okay. Um so I'm just going to talk a little bit about the pilot because it's pilots are always, I'm a big advocate that you have to watch a show for at least five episodes because the pilots are the worst. That's literally them setting up the show to you. Yeah. You can't really get into it until you're like on episode five, six. Right. And then you can get a feel of like, oh, this is my show. This is my show. Because there are so many changes between even the pilot and the first, especially for shows that last so long. Isn't yeah. it fun to go back to the pilot and be like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that character was right. in there. That's how this person acted. They were, that was like their wardrobe where yeah. like, um, but then when they finally get the feel for it, like writers and everyone who's involved in the production, they have an idea and it's great. And their idea, when they see it on stage, you can, which is great. You're allowed to tweak it as the show goes yeah. on into what you think is better. My best example of that is one of your favorite shows, uh, Parks and Recreation. Oh, yes. The first season is so different from the second season. It is. It's, like... it's so different. And I'm kind of curious, I haven't looked it up, as to why, like, Leslie's mom was in it a uh-huh. bit, but then she's, like, hardly in it afterwards. Yeah. I don't know if that was just, like, oh, she's not 
really need it right now, yeah. but it's, I'll have to look that up for another time. Um, so in the pilot, the first episode actually featured a gay character named Coco, mm-hmm. um, who worked as the cook for the woman, but the role was dropped before the second episode. Like, he's only in the first episode. That I remember thinking, yes, I have seen that, and it just seems so off. Yeah. Like, he's a fine character, but he just does not fit in. Okay. And the writers observed that in many of the proposed scripts, the main interaction between the women occurred in the kitchen. They almost... Like, there's the kitchen, and then you have the main living room, and then you have, like, their outdoor area, which they don't really use much in the first season. Yeah. But they're always sitting at the kitchen table, and one of them standing, and the three others are sitting yeah. and having a discussion. Um, and I know the cook is, like, off to the side making, like, little side comments, and it's, like, funny or whatever, but it's not... It doesn't have a right feel. Um, so they decided that a sip... Um, that the cook would distract from the friendship of, like, these main characters. Yeah. So, and then also, Sophia, the grandmother who came in, or the grandmother, the mother who came in, was um, Estelle Getty, who played her, was only supposed to be a guest star, but she tested so strongly that the audience are like, no, we're going to make her a regular, (laughs) which I thought was so cool. All right, so now we're going to go into themes. Okay. One of the main themes they definitely talk about is, like, LGBT themes. Mm -hmm. It is one of the few series of his era in, like, 1985 to... Um, include openly gay and lesbian characters and deal with related issues. So a lot of this I took from an article that I thought was really well done, so I'm almost quoting them verbatim. Um, but basically, the Golden Girls defended same-sex marriage before it was, I like how it said, mainstream. <laughs> Quote-unquote mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, in one episode, Blanche's brother, pays uh, Clayton, pays a visit and announces that he's engaged to his partner, Doug. Mm-hmm. And then... What's really interesting is everyone's really cool with it, and it's Blanche who's not cool with it, but it's only because she's looking looking out at her brother in a different light yeah. than what she's known him for 50 years. Um, and then in another scene, Sophia perfectly explains marriage equality to Blanche why like to like help ease her down and it's a youtube video but it's basically saying like mm-hmm. if you love someone then what's it matter? Yeah. And you just want his happiness. And one of the show writers at the time said, well, we were in Young Writers, and we got to say a little something about gay rights and how gay people see themselves. It's about two men getting married, which is something people think at the time, which is something people at the time didn't even talk about. And it was a really funny episode, too. It wasn't serious. They made it lighthearted. Um, even some of the serious episodes that they talk about, they still made it lighthearted. Speaking of, they also tackled the stigma around AIDS head on, especially in the early 90s. Yeah. Um, and then they worked to counteract the myth that it was a gay disease or a punishment for who you were as a person. And there are some really, there are like three or four separate episodes of this series that deal with HIV and AIDS. Yeah. And it, they are really well done. Um, and then speaking of off the screen, the actresses are actually dedicated to the advancing the cause of gay rights. And at the height of the AIDS epidemic, um, Estelle Getty, who played Sophia, yeah. was a like a huge activist in a 1989 interview she explained i've been in show business all my life the majority of friends are gay a lot of my friends have died from AIDS." so she did a lot of like advocating of like trying to get um um trying to find a cure for it or find out what's going on right so that's really cool another big thing obviously because nothing had been done like this before is um the theme of the portrayal of aging mm-hmm. um Three, four women, each with their own distinct history and personality, um, shattered the silence of the invisibility around aging in the most hilarious and endearing ways. I love that line. Um, and it's, this article just goes on to talk more about 
like circumstances. So in Rose Fights Back, she's cut off from her husband's pension. And so she has to find a new job. And then so she's faced with age discrimination. She goes to like work at a newsroom. Yeah. Not even to like be on camera. I can't quite remember. But it's clearly age discrimination. This like little petite woman is like wants to say something and then she goes back home and her friends are like you gotta say something you gotta say something she goes no but she finally is able to like what you're not treating me fairly and it's it's really well done um and this is really in another episode uh sophia the oldest one makes a friend alvin at the boardwalk but Mm -hmm. soon discovers that he has alzheimer's okay um, and she tells Dorothy, people think that if you live to be my age, you should be grateful just to be alive. Well, that's not how it works. You need a reason to get up in the morning. Sometimes, even if, even after you find one, life can turn right around and spit in your face. And I really like that a lot. I don't know. They, and it kind of leads in, well, not necessarily, but another thing that they really talked about, the whole reason that this show is like still ranked as one of the top shows is like it was the most progressive show of the time yeah. one of the most I can't speak because I don't know all the shows that were running on at the time um but they did a lot about um visibility with people with uh, disabilities um in the Golden Girls they had several episodes revolving around characters with disabilities usually as a part of the women's love lives like I know that um have you watched any of the Golden Girls? Never we seen will fix that. We will fix that. I almost called them the Gilmore Girls. Oh I was, my gosh! I was like that one show that you like. Uh, that I you went to we had the T-shirt, yes. <laughs> um, and one episode, Rose is like dating a little person. Yeah. And she's actually embarrassed, like introduce him, and he's like this lawyers, doctors, you know, some prestigious, worthy, smart person. Yeah. <laughs> And obviously they're fine with it, but it's hilarious. And they jokes and soon the reason that they don't end up together is because she's not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in another episode, Blanche, who's like just flirting with everyone, really hits off this guy at the library while they're yeah. sitting down. It turns out he's like in a wheelchair. Oh. Um, and they, but the whole thing that's really great about the show is they don't hide from the main character's prejudice. Like, yeah. you know how they make the main character like flawless or yeah. things like that? No. They literally show that these characters, these main characters that you love, even though they're great and stuff, they obviously saw flaws, and they are obviously just as prejudiced because there's no such thing as a non-prejudiced person. And it's their friends that help them figure out, like, well, you got to say out loud why you're disturbed by this, what's wrong with this, and then they realize it within themselves and then make themselves better people. Right. And I think it's really well done. And they all do it through laughter. I swear it's a hilarious show. Um. According, oh yeah, yeah. According to the Lawrence Center Long, which I'm guessing that's a research area, mm-hmm. um, an expert on disability and media says that the best writing about disability focuses on character, not a rehash of the same two dimensional, tragic, or heroic movie of the weak stillness we've all seen a hundred times before, which I think the show really does. It shows these people with disabilities, um, you learn their life story. Um, Learning their arcs. Like, I know the Rose who was dating the little person, he wasn't in there for just an episode. He was in there for like 10 episodes. They were like getting very serious. Yeah. And they realized like they weren't going to end up together. Um, and it didn't always revolve. There would be episodes where it wouldn't revolve around him being little. It would just revolve around them being in a relationship as old people and like right. trying to figure it out. Um, 
And of course, the most iconic thing is that it was a fucking awesome feminist show from 1985 to 1992. Right. Um, the very premise of the Golden Girls, four women navigating life after marriage and finding companionship in one another, um, obviously is feminist in nature, but while the women exchange quips and get into fights, the over-exchanging message of the show focuses on the importance of a chosen family, which is so true. Yeah. Um, and women supporting other women. Further, we see the women enjoying life after marriage. Over the course of the series, we see the characters focus on career, ambitions, new hobbies, and more often than not, their un- unapologetic enjoyment of sex. So much so that this blog recently tallied how many men each character slept with, and Blanche came out on top with 165. Damn. <laughs> and that's after. <laughs> um, isn't the average like six partners throughout your lifetime? I believe that, yeah. yeah. Something I mean, like yeah. Well, Blanche was right above there. <laughs> <laughs> and what made their loves lies particularly in point was the fact that television shows rarely portray older women, older women as sexual beings. And I think that's what made the show such a hit. Yeah. Is like they had so many older women writing and like, yes, I can still be like sexually active and it's not a weird taboo thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, in the 80s and 90s, like they were, when you watch a show, they do not hide it or anything along those lines. Yeah. Um, Especially Blanche. <laughs> and she never apologizes for it. She's yeah. always just like, this is who I am. And um, if anyone ever came at her or things like that, it would be her two friends who usually fished at her a lot would come to her defense and be like, oh, you should have. What did you do the other? I don't know. I don't have a, any ideas off the top of my head. But right. there, it's, it's a really well done show. And the finale is amazing. Yeah. I cry. (laughs) Um, So I'll go into a little more. Um, So that's just a little bit about the themes of the show. There's other themes, but these are the most poignant ones. Um, When the finale did air, Mm -hmm. it was watched by 27.2 million people. As of 2016, it was the 17th most watched television finale. Okay, so remember that for trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 17th most watched television finale. (laughs) And um, they did have a spinoff called The Golden Palace that only ran for one season. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole reason it kind of left, I mean, I think because after seven years, and I didn't put this on here because I don't like talking about it, but everyone, it's the biggest thing that everyone knows is that B. Arthur didn't really get along with anyone else, and yeah. it was really just um, Betty Davis, Betty Davis, Betty White, <laughs> Betty White. <laughs> 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 not Betty Davis, Betty Davis wouldn't get along with anyone. Right. <laughs> Uh, Betty White and Ruby McClanahan were like really close friends, but other than that, uh, it wasn't um, as friendly. But I, I think that they may get some part of it. It was like they, yeah, they may not have spoken. But I don't want to get into that. I don't care. Right. I care about the characters on this show. That's what made the show. Um, the whole point. So, but I think B. Arthur at uh, season seven was like, I'm, I'm done. Uh, this is who I'm done with playing this character. But they did the spinoff of the Golden Piles with the three other main characters. And um, Dorothy did make an appearance in one episode. Okay. And it got renewed, it said, for a second season. But reportedly, a second season was approved before being canceled the day before the network announced the next year's schedule. So I guess, I don't know. Yeah. It wasn't like it was a huge hit, but... Um, hey, Netflix, if you're interested in... Uh... A Golden Girl spinoff. <laughs> Golden Girls uh, revival. It was like, there's no other show that I can think of that was quite like, they did that show hot in Cleveland and stuff. Yeah. But this was an NBC network show 
that was watched by millions because right, there right. were no there weren't 500 channels at that time. Yeah. You had your ABC, NBC, um, CBS, Fox, and you had cable at that time. But um, shoot, I'm trying to think about what day this aired, but like it did really well. It actually did go against the Cosby show and it beat the Cosby show which was like unheard of at the time yeah. I was like fuck yes after all <laughs> I know um so a little uh, there's so many like interesting facts so I'll just keep my facts to a minimum on the Golden Girls because okay. you can look any of these up really yeah. but Estelle Getty who played Sophia the mother of Dorothy played by Bea Arthur mm-hmm. is only one year two months and twelve days younger than Bea Arthur wait I think she's older. She's older. No. She's younger or older than B. Arthur? <laughs> Quickly Googling. Yep, younger. Younger. Cheetah is younger. She was basically a year younger than the person playing her daughter. Wow. Um... But um, that's why she was in the makeup chair for 45 minutes getting her her stuff done to look younger. Or older, excuse me. She also, this is what I, every website I go to keeps talking about this because it is the most well-known thing. But I think it's so interesting. So even though they were all around the same age, um, they all had somewhat success. Like everyone knew B. Arthur. They literally wrote... Dorothy's character, mm-hmm. the writers are like a B. Arthur type, and they tried typing all these people, and they're like, well, why don't we just get B. Arthur? <laughs> and they did. Um, uh, but these were all like kind of well-known people because B. Arthur was on Maud, which yeah. was also a very progressive show at the time. But Estelle Getty did, like, didn't really have much in her repertoire, wasn't really well-known, wasn't really famous, and mm-hmm. wasn't really good at... Or, didn't know how to perform in front of people. And they actually performed in front of a live studio audience yeah, every yeah. Friday night. And so she had stage fright every single time she went up there. Mm. And then other things, too, because she was getting, even though she was, like, kind of on the younger end, well, they're all in their 50s. She was the first to go, but not till like, years later. But she was having, like, memory loss, and they would have to have cue cards for her. And she would, like, forget her lines and things like that, which I'm pretty sure was hard to watch. Right. Um... But to bring it back on to a more positive note, um, Queen Elizabeth, though, was a huge fan, <laughs> huge fan of Golden Girls, because who isn't? Uh-huh. So she was such a fan of the series that she requested that the cast give a performance on November 21st, 1988. So that'd be around season three time. However, the racy, quote unquote, dialogue the show is famous for had to be toned down a notch. We'll do about seven minutes from the show, but we'll have to censor a few things for the Queen, said B. Arthur at the time. I think the Queen can handle it. I think so, yeah. But that's funny. Queen's seen some shit. Yeah, but yeah, she has. Okay. And the last two things was the kitchen set was a hand-me-down. Okay. Um, most scenes are to take place in the kitchen. Like, that's right. what it's known for. Oh, did I tell you about the cheesecake? Um, so they're all known for, like, loving and eating cheesecake. I did not know that. They would always sit down, like, if someone had a bad day, they just like, I need cheesecake. And they would all come down and eat cheesecake. I've got a story for you about that. <laughs> Please. So well, first of all, someone, because everyone will tell you it, yeah. the characters ate over 100 cheesecakes in the seven years. Damn. And apparently B. Arthur hated cheesecake, which that brings her down a pick, because I don't understand how you can't eat <laughs> cheesecake. 
Um, What's your story then? Uh, so uh, I think Tuesday was International Women's Day. Um, and so I asked Mary, like, what do you want for International Women's Day? And she was like, well, last year you brought in cheesecake. So I went to Kroger's and I, I bought two cheesecakes and brought them into the office for International Women's Day. And I messaged Mary on our uh, Slack. Yeah. And she was like, I'm sick. I'm not going to be in the office today. Oh, my gosh. So a lot of the... A lot of the women in the office got cheesecake. Some of them said that they couldn't eat it because of dietary restrictions, but they appreciated the effort, um, things like that. But I just felt bad for Mary because she was like... She didn't get her cheesecake. Last time you, last year you brought me cheesecake, and now she can't eat it. Aww. Um, yeah. I love cheesecake. <laughs> um, but the kitchen yeah. was um, a hand-me-down. Uh, the main reason for its particular design was that it was... A set left over from another short-lived um, sitcom made by the same person who produced it okay. called It Takes Two. Did you ever hear of that? I've heard of It Takes Two. Well, every time I think of that, I think of the Olsen twins. Yeah. Maybe It Takes Two, and that's what I think of. Because it starred Richard Crenna and Patty Duke, Austin, as a dual career couple. He was a doctor. She was a lawyer with two teenage children. Sounds dun, dun, boring. Dun. That sounds really boring. <laughs> um, oh, yes, and this is the most fun thing. I didn't realize it that I learned this word from the Golden Girls, but the TV show introduced a new word to television viewers who aren't Floridian. What's up? Do you know what a lanai is? No. <laughs> if you watch Golden Girls, you know what it is. <laughs> um, lanai. Architecturally speaking, a lanai is a porch or a veranda with a cement floor and an awning and is sometimes enclosed by screens. Okay. So there would be like, I'm going out to the lanai and yeah. it's the outdoor patio that porch backyard. Yeah. <laughs> so My step grandparents had one of those, but they just called it a porch. So. <laughs> well, apparently in Florida, you call it a lanai. Yeah. So I thought that was really neat. And I hope I've convinced you to watch the Golden Girls because <laughs> it is a really well done show. Right. And I think laugh track or no laugh track, it it's really good. Once I finish, also sorry, go ahead. Once I finish Critical Role, I might give it a okay a shot. Okay. And like. Sophia's from Italy, so she'll always talk about picture Italy, 1912, and she'll tell you a story. Mm-hmm. And you just don't believe her, you don't believe her. And then, like, people come in throughout the series and, like, oh my gosh, it was true. <laughs> <laughs> it's so well done. Yeah. I could tell you more about it, <laughs> but I feel like then I'm just going to be gabbing about the show. Netflix, we need a uh, Golden Girls reboot. Um, yeah. All seasons are on Hulu, but not on Netflix. Hulu, we need a Golden Girls reboot. <laughs> One of you people make it. Uh, I would watch it in a heartbeat. <laughs> heartbeat, yes, I would. That's awesome. But I wonder what they would do to like make it more modern. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, do you have anything you want to plug for this week? Just our website. Just our website. Uh, go check out our website. It's absentactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh, we've got artwork from Katie. We've got music from... Uh, Crap. Uh, Osman. Uh, Osman made our, our theme song. Oh, yeah. um, we've got show notes and uh, links to the episodes if you've missed any. Um, anything else? Nah, that's a good way to end it. That's all? Okay. Uh, that's all, folks. <laughs> as usual, buy my books. Help support your, uh, your local artist. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to follow us on 
Uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it is AWM Rights. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is at AWM Rights. Please don't just send me a, a random Facebook request because I usually screen my screen my Facebook friend requests and I might not get you. Um, so just follow me on Twitter or on uh, Instagram. Um, anything else? That's a good way to wrap it up. Cool. Uh, we will see you next week, listeners. Have a good time. Yeah. Thank you.